Today, our scripture reading is found in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, a very exciting and uplifting book. Yes, I'm being sarcastic, and that's okay. Uh, Not one that we tend to read a whole lot, but it has some incredible depth and wisdom for us. And so today, we're going to start in chapter 1, starting at verse 12, and go through chapter 2, verse 11, as we seek the Word of God, the Word of life. Let us listen to the Word of God. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Am I following along? Yes. Okay, just make sure. To be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines to delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended to doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on earth? 
my purpose in life is to um, to live a normal life, to to be uh, a citizen, a productive citizen. Intentar pasar por la vida de la manera más desapercibida posible. I don't fully know why I'm here, but I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing that because then that creates endless possibilities for myself. I would like to make a difference, even if it's only in one life, I'd prefer to do more. Because I think the meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find something that you're passionate about and use that passion to make the world around you a better place. Does life have a purpose? It's a big question, isn't it? Does life have a purpose? As I consider this question, I can't help but think back to that old image from the Voyager, the pale blue dot, and then Carl Sagan talks about us being just little tiny specks on this pale blue dot. It's this picture of Earth from really, really far away that the earth is barely visible. It's, it's like a pixel, a little blue pixel on this vast space picture. And he recites this whole little monologue about everything we have ever known, every history, every person has ever lived has been on this tiny pale blue dot. And it really makes you feel incredibly small. Does life have a bur- have a purpose? These are the big questions that we are going to be tackling for the next seven weeks. We're going to explore God and wrestle some of these big questions of faith that we as believers have, as well as people who struggle with doubt and don't have belief in God. But they're important questions to wrestle. For those who don't know me, my name is Patrick Cherry. I'm the pastor here at Christ the Word Church. For those tuning in for the first time, we're glad that you're tuning in. We don't believe you are listening by accident, and we're glad that you are participating in this opportunity to wrestle with these questions. As I mentioned beginning of the service, uh, we're wrestling with these questions with other churches. There's other churches all across our city that are doing the exact same series in solidarity with one another to say, look, this, these are important questions that we all need to tackle we all need to be considering, so let's do it together. And so that's what this Explore God series is all about, because the purpose is ultimately about the good news of Jesus. Am I right? So we all are in that purpose. But before we continue this mental wrestling match with this deep question, I need a little bit of prayer. Perhaps you need a little bit of prayer. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us, so let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather so freely to worship you, to contemplate, to consider these big, deep questions of life. And Lord, we pray that you would guide us, that you would help silence any voice in us but your own, that you would speak to us in this moment. Lord, perhaps we've never heard you speak to us before, so we pray now, Lord, that you would speak to us that you'd open up your scriptures to us, that you'd help us to hear what it is you need us to hear in this moment. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, and your promise be upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen.
So it's Masters weekend. We have any golf fans out there watching the Masters? We were just visiting my in-laws in Williamsburg and they're big golf fans. I'm a firm believer that uh, I don't know how anybody can watch a match in its entirety without sleeping, but it's incredibly calming to me. Uh, I play a mean game of putt-putt golf, on the other hand, not so much my sport. But as I was considering the the Masters and everything going on, it it reminded me of a story that I read not too long ago about uh, an immortal moment in golf history when a Scotchman was demonstrating this new game to President Ulysses Grant. He was carefully placing the ball on the tee, and he took a mighty swing, and the club hit the turf, scattering dirt everywhere, even on our president's beard and all the surrounding vicinity, while the ball sat placidly waiting to be hit on the tee. If you play golf like me, this happens a lot. You hit around the ball, not so much the ball. And our president waited patiently through six tries quietly watching the Scotchman, I'm sure he had some words to say, with a thick Scottish accent. And finally, after the sixth try, the president said, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in this game, but I fail to see the purpose of the ball. Do you ever feel like your life is that ball? Do you ever feel like there's really no apparent purpose, that there's all this exercise, there's all this giving up of energy, time, and resources, and then you wonder, what is it all for? It's one of the reasons I don't like to run on a treadmill, because you put in all this mileage only to find out you never really got anywhere. But life can be like a treadmill, can't it? I mean, we're so busy. Every day we wake up busy. If you've ever raised kids or are in the process of raising kids, you know that's, that's just life. You get up and it's just it's the same thing every day and you spend energy and you put on clean co- clothing to know that it's not going to stay clean but a couple minutes because someone's going to spit up, throw up, get drop into a puddle or something. That's why we don't look with suspicion on our family, young families when they show up to church late including the pastor's wife, because oftentimes it's been that puddle on the way to the car to come to church that's had to have a wardrobe change. But life can be a lot of exercise, can it? And what is the purpose? Does anybody else ever long or wish that you could reclaim the wonder of your childhood? You think back to your childhood, some just the wonderful memories. Maybe you had a good childhood, maybe you didn't. But there's some innocence in childhood. And I'm reliving a lot of this as I watch my own children now. As I look to them with no real responsibilities. Remember what that was like? No. No real responsibilities. No mortgage. Everything is so simple and clear expectations are clear. Everything is just black and white. It's, it's, it's clear. And then you have all this free time to play and to just enjoy life. But it doesn't last forever, does it? It comes to an end. I remember when this first sunk in for me, it was, it was in college. You know, here I was on to college, on to the higher education so that I could figure out what I was going to do the rest of my life. 
See, in my major, you started out kind of everybody taking the same classes, but then you had to focus in and concentrate. It's in a lot of pressure on someone in their early 20s to have to figure out what are you going to do the rest of your life? Because that's how it feels. People can tell you, well, you may never use your degree. That's okay. It's a piece of paper. Okay, well, then why am I going through this? <laughs> why am I paying all this money for an expensive piece of paper when I can't figure out what I want to do the rest of my life? But I remember struggling, figuring out what am I going to do? How am I going to make a living? What is my purpose? How has God gifted me? And that question of the rest of your life just hangs heavy. That's a lot of pressure to put on a young mind, isn't it? But that's kind of the pressure we do put on our young people. What are you going to do the rest of your life? You've got to figure out something. You need the education. You need to figure out a way. You've got to figure out your priorities. What is your purpose going to be? One of the first questions we ask in our culture when you meet somebody is not just their name, but is what? What do you do for a living? Isn't that a common question in our culture? What do, what do, what do you do for a living? It's almost as if the person is asking you to figure out if you're worth talking to. Because our identities are wrapped up in what we do in our country, aren't they? And they carry with them a certain weight or connotation, don't they? When someone says, I'm an attorney, I'm a, I'm a doctor, it carries a certain weight than when someone says, well, I'm a receptionist, I'm a cashier, I'm a line cook, I'm an accounts manager, I'm a car salesman, I'm a custodian, I'm a pastor. Ooh. Each of these carry a different weight in the conversation and a different value is perceived when the person hears it. All of this weighed heavy on my mind as I was struggling with my purpose, this incredibly confusing, challenging, heartbreaking, consumer-driven world. It's tough to answer that question. Is anybody else struggling with what they're going to do when they grow up? We, we never really outgrow that question, do we? What are you going to do when you grow up? Vocation is just one simple question that plagues our existence, isn't it? That's just one question out of the many. What about the bigger questions of purpose that hover at the edges of the everyday and the mundane? I'd venture to say that most of us spend very little time thinking about our purpose, at least on a cosmic scale. We'll think about it in everyday choices or maybe our five-year plan or our two-year plan, but have you ever considered and sat and contemplated your existence, your purpose in a cosmic sense on this pale blue dot in the cosmos? What is your purpose? That is a big question. But the times we do consider that question, it can be pretty troubling especially if you suspect that there is no purpose. On the other hand, even those who believe that their lives are heading somewhere, who believe there's ultimate meaning, finding answers to life's simple everyday questions can still be difficult, can't they? Who should I invest my time with? 
We have limited amount of time, so who are we going to invest that time with? Where should we work? There's the vocation question. Where should I work now? Where should I work in the future? Should I be looking for someplace else to work? How should I spend my money? What makes sense? Should I be planning for retirement that may never come? (laughs) These are all everyday questions that flow out of a deeper question, don't they? Every single one of those flow out of a deeper question. What am I here for? What is the meaning of life? I really thought about playing the song from Meaning of Life, Monty Python, but I figured it'd probably be pretty irreverent and inappropriate. But that's what was running through my mind. Is like, what is, what is the meaning of life? What are we here for? You know, philosophy wrestles with this question. Philosophers have wrestled with this question for a long time. So Leo Tolstoy says this, Then what is life for? To die? To kill myself at once? No, I'm afraid. To wait for death till it comes? I fear that that even more. Then I must live. But what for? In order to die? Isn't that a wonderful thought? Or we can go to Ernest Hemingway. He has this wonderful quote. Life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Wow, doesn't that, doesn't that deserve a place on the wall or on your mirror every morning so you can see it? Or Samuel Beckett. They give birth astride of a grave. The light gleams an instant, and then it's night once more. Wow. Finding great purpose and meaning in those guys, aren't we? I mean, these, these are people, by all accounts, intelligent men that we revere for their thought. And this is how they perceive life and purpose. Does that fill that void, that question in your life? Again, is this something you want to frame on your wall? You know, it's, it's been summed up in a much shorter sense. Life sucks and then you die. You ever heard that? Now that's a quote worthy of the billboard. Life sucks and then you die, but that's how we live so often. If there's no purpose, it's all just existence. But if that's all there is, why do we long for so much more? If that is all there is, if there is no purpose, if it's just existence, a stride, a grave, for a moment, a gleam, and then we're dead, why do we long for so much more? I look at animals. They don't seem to long for more. They're happy where they are. Why aren't we that way? Why aren't we content with where we are? Why do we have this yearning within us, deep within us, this fire to look to more? The first per- person to write in detail about the search for meaning was the king of ancient Israel, King Solomon, the son of King David. And King Solomon, by all accounts, was incredibly rich, incredibly powerful, the most wise man alive. And he tried it all. He tried everything. And he discovered some profound things as a result. But Solomon even begins 
with some sobering words. In his book in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, you know, that just rolls off the tongue, Ecclesiastes. Again, this is a wonderful name for those who have children coming, a name of Ecclesiastes. You know, come here, Ecclesiastes, it's time for dinner. What does Ecclesiastes mean? Ecclesiastes is just a Greek rendering of the Hebrew word, it's koaleth, which means preacher, preacher, teacher. And so that's why at the beginning, in verse 2, we even hear him saying, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Or some other translations, if you're looking at a different translation, it might say, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Again, that's a scripture quote worth putting on the wall next to life sucks and then you die. His introduction and eventual conclusion implies that riches, power, status, education, sex, adrenaline, knowledge, you name it, are not the things that will give us meaning. He says they can give us temporary distraction from the question and even give us some temporary satisfaction. I can't get no. But they will not reveal to us our purpose. Earlier when we read Solomon's account, he even said these words in verse 16. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. And it continues in verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Wow. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Was that on your college diploma? And then he goes on in chapter 2 in verse 8. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and, made, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. And then he finishes with this. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here, Solomon is talking about all these things that we tend to strive after, the, the power, the pleasure, the, the sex, the knowledge, the education, the status. But how does he end everything? It's vanity. It's meaningless. It's all chasing after the wind. Can you catch the wind? No. And so what was his conclusion in all of this? His conclusion was this, life is meaningless without God. That was the deep depth of his wisdom that he came to, is life is meaningless without God, but God gives everything meaning. See, Solomon was struggling with this very question that we have to answer in our own lives. 
What is the meaning of life? What is my purpose? What am I here for? Where will I derive my meaning? But here's the challenge. If we derive or define our life in lesser things, we will be less than satisfied. If we define our life in lesser things, we will be less than satisfied. Things like money, power, prestige, knowledge, and pleasure, they're all fleeting. Have you ever pursued a pleasure that lasted? Nope. It's like a kid with candy. And if you've ever seen a candy crash after that, ooh, I'm not talking about Candy Crush the game, but a candy crash that happens after they've loaded themselves perhaps off the Easter basket candy. I'm not speaking from experience. And then, and then it's the drop after that. It's like the energy drinks you have and then the drop that follows. Things like money, power, prestige, knowledge, and pleasure, they're all fleeting. Find a man or a woman who has just been granted everything, and I will show you a man or a woman who is still not satisfied. Isn't that the truth? As the Beatles sang, money can't buy me love. Can it? It can buy you pleasure. Can't buy you love. Significance. Purpose. Some of the richest and most powerful people in the world are also some of the most lonely It continues to astound me, unless you understand this, all the celebrities who seem to have everything who then commit suicide or go off the deep end and just, they're the people we look to that we want to be like, that have everything, but then they seem so unhappy. I've heard countless stories about lottery winners. They'll win all this lottery money that they never have to work another day in their life And then life just goes off the rails. They start finding family they never realized they had, not knowing what to do with it all. What's my purpose now that I'm not working? There's countless stories. Life is meaningless without something greater. There has to be something greater. And for your purpose to be greater than you, it must originate from someone greater than you. It must serve something greater than you. God gives us the meaning we long for, the very meaning we were created for. It's interesting even looking at science, just how everything comes to being, and they show that, you know, if anything was off just a degree, life wouldn't happen. It was interesting, I heard a, uh, an author speaking that says that uh, his wife was an astrophysicist and that her pursuit of knowledge and all of how the world works in the cosmos has led them to a deeper appreciation for God. So there had to be something guiding all this. If there was a big bang, who shot the gun? How did it all just, it's just all happenstance? there seems to be a great deal of evidence there's some sort of intelligent design there. And the one who designs us, wouldn't they have a better sense of our meaning and purpose? For our purpose to be greater than you, it must originate from someone greater than you. Are you serving something greater or are you serving something fleeting? 
as you look at your own life. Let's just take a moment now. Let's set aside our rhetoric. Let's be honest and take an honest account of our own lives. You know, this is a question only you can answer and you answer to yourself. You don't have to answer to me. So therefore, be real honest with yourself. Are you serving something greater or something fleeting? Do you live as if God exists? There's a difference between believing God exists and living as if God exists, isn't there? There's a big difference. We can say all we want, but are we living in a way? One of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, in fact, if you want a great book to explore the Christian faith, read a ragamuffin gospel. But Brennan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge, acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. One of our greatest obstacles we face is this growing idea of what some philosophers and theologians call practical atheism, which is proclaiming God exists and declaring as such, but living in a way that just doesn't seem to support that declaration. How we view God has a direct effect on our own meaning and purpose. If we believe there is no God, then the only meaning we can derive is existence. And does that satisfy it for you? If we believe that God is uninvolved and apathetic, then we live a life that's just all about individualistic living. It's just all about what I want. There's no change. If we live a life that there is, there is a God, but it's an angry God, then we venture on the realm of legalism, that it's all just about following rules. And is that what it's all about? Is, do you find purpose in following rules? But what if there is a radically loving and intimate God? If there is, then there is a chance we can find purpose and meaning in a changed life. Because whether you believe in God or not, don't you want to find purpose and find meaning? Isn't that something we all long for? What do you want to place your belief in? The age-old question about our deathbed helps put things into perspective. When you're in your last moments taking your last breath, will you be thinking about how much more money you could have made? Will you think, be thinking about how much more you could have achieved, accumulated, how many more people you could have networked with, how many followers you could have had on Instagram, how many webs of connections on other platforms of social media and life? See, it's when we are about to lose everything that the deeper things that cannot be taken away become all that more important, don't they? If you've ever had a question, ever had a conversation with someone who is in their last moments. These were the questions that Solomon was wrestling with. And many years and many generations later, Jesus points to this deeper meaning to his followers when he's speaking to them about something as simple as fear and anxiety. 
he urges his followers to not worry or be anxious about tomorrow, and he points to nature to illustrate about God's care and provision. You know, he said, look at the flowers of the field. They neither toil nor spin, but yet they are beautiful. And all of Solomon, here we reference Solomon again, all his splendor. And he points to the birds of the air and how everything is provided. And he said, if, if God has provided for those simple things, how much more would he provide for us if we are made in his very image? That we inhabit what theologians call the imago Dei, the image of God is within us. But Jesus isn't just speaking about our basic needs of food, shelter, clothing, and water here, is he? He points to a deeper meaning when he says this. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, seek after all these things, and you heavenly and your heavenly father knows that you need all of them but here's the key but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you so what is jesus talking about here is it is it like a divine vending machine if we just seek god's kingdom then suddenly boom clothes on our back shelter over our head food on the table is that what he's talking about Sure, God provides for the everyday things. It says here in the scripture that he knows we need all these things. Absolutely. But when all these things will be added to you, is Jesus speaking about something simple as clothes? Or is he speaking to something different? I think Jesus is challenging people to seek first his kingdom, saying that the rest of your life will have meaning and purpose if you do. Everything falls into place if you seek first his kingdom when you start building a puzzle how do you start you start with the edges right don't you build the boat you don't start from the inside out you start from the outside in you start with the big picture jesus is saying my kingdom is the big picture get the border in place then everything else starts to make sense when you understand where it falls perhaps your search for deeper meaning has left you wanting Perhaps you are less than satisfied. Perhaps you live a life fearing what may come. Perhaps you long for something more, something deeper, something bigger, and something truer. Perhaps you feel like you are meant for more than this. And I'm here to tell you, you're right. You were made for so much more. Jesus invites us and challenges us to see our world, our existence, and our purpose through a different lens, the lens of God's plan for us as individuals and for us as a people. We are to seek his kingdom and not a lesser one. That is where we find our meaning. You were created to know and to love God. God gives life meaning. Do we have a purpose? Absolutely. And it only comes from God. And so I invite you, if you have never wrestled with this question, does life have a purpose? Wrestle with it. Tackle it head on. Consider it. Think about it. And if you want someone to explore it with you, let me know. I'd be happy to listen. 
I'll listen far more than I talk. Let me know. I would love to hear the wrestling of your heart, and I would love to be able to share with you how I found my purpose in Jesus and want to invite you to do the same. We all have questions, and believe it or not, there are answers.